the supernatural is something that isn't supposed to happen, but it does happen. AM 1420 WBSM presents Spooky South Coast with your hosts, Tim Weisberg and Matt Costa. All right, good evening and welcome to Spooky South Coast. You know, we should have just had Chop play the theme. <laughs> Would have been a lot easier. Last time you were here, we had you actually I'd love to do it. play a song. So Absolutely. Yeah, it's our fault. We should have thought of that ahead of time. And most of the EVPs are here, so it would be great. We are now taking donations for a brand new board for WBSM because this one's had it. Welcome to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa, science advisor Matt Moniz. And if you're watching along on Spooky TV at SpookySouthCoast.com, you'll see we have a whole uh, group of people here in the Spooky studio. We'll get to that in a second. If this is your first time hearing the program, because we're on at a special time today, well, welcome aboard. We talk about the paranormal each and every Saturday night, normally from 10 to midnight, but because of the Red Sox, we're on a little bit earlier tonight. And we, we like these early shows because... You know, not only do we get to, to have a Saturday night out, which is something that we don't usually get, but we get to capture a new audience, people who are listening between, you know, the regular programming or waiting for the socks to start, who might not think that they'd want to listen to a show about the paranormal. And here's where we fool them into thinking that they want to come along for the ride each week. And uh, if you are watching and you want to watch what's, I mean, sorry, if you are listening and you want to watch what's going on, SpookySouthCoast.com is the place you can get into our Spooky TV feed where you can... Watch what's going on in the studio. Chat with some of our friends. Want to say hi to everybody in the chat room. Thanks for joining us at a special time. You really are diehards of the show. Because I, I know I... No, normally I wouldn't be allowed to sit and listen to a radio show at this time of day. There'd be something I'd have to do. Work, chores, cook dinner. Yeah, I don't really do any of that stuff. Oh, come on. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you picked a great night to join us because... Or a great day. Uh, it's it's going to take me a while to get used to this time change. I feel like somebody that just flew in from Australia or something. But uh, you're going to really enjoy this show because we're going to be talking about the Bridgewater Triangle. For those of you who yes. do know about the Bridgewater Triangle, we're going to have some new information you've never heard before, some new firsthand testimony that you've never heard before. But if you are new to the idea of the Bridgewater Triangle, well, you're going to want to stay tuned because you might not have realized that one of the world's biggest paranormal vortexes is right here in our own backyard. So we're going to get into all that and more with our guests. But first, I want to introduce our special guest co-host, for tonight, uh, he's Carlson Chopswood. You know him from the the Chopswood band and every other musical gig he's done, every DJ yes. gig he's done. And what's a blues man doing in here talking about the Bridgewater Triangle? Well, I was born in the Bridgewater Triangle, so that's why. Yes, before it was known that's, as the Bridgewater Triangle, you caused it all. Absolutely, back when it wasn't even paranormal, it was <laughs> supernatural. And uh, you know, my family was my family's from Bridgewater and Halifax, and I always grew up. Wondering about ghosts and living in haunted locations uh, in West Bridgewater and Bridgewater and all the different areas up there. Uh, so we had a keen interest at an early age to uh, investigate some of the things that was happening to my family. Uh, my sister at the time was living in a haunted location in Bridgewater. And, and back then you had to go to the library. Mm -hmm. So we would go to the library and we would ask people. You know, we would talk to the neighbors, we would talk to the police department and ask questions. That was our research, that was our study. We picked up books from the library by Hans Holzer or Brad Steiger and authors unknown or lost to time at, at this point uh, and just read about the things and, and ask a lot of questions. But uh, I am a musician. 
Uh, I love the paranormal. I, in fact, three people in this room are, <laughs> are part of a band that, that, that we perform together in as the EVPs, mm-hmm. uh, minus uh, Sarah, Sarah Coombs. And um, who's that other guy? Who Jeff was Jeff Blanchard. <laughs> Jeff yeah, yeah, yeah. So I could just run down and give you some of my credentials right here so, the, so I can validate to people sure. what the heck, how the heck, I'm, why the heck is this guy co-hosting Spooky South Coast? I was born in the Bridgewater Triangle. I'm co-hosting with, uh, with, with Tim Weisberg and, and, and Matt, and, and Tim sat in for Jason Hawes and Grant Wilson when they had their radio show, correct? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, with Jeff Belanger. Yes. Who's connected with... Ghost Adventures. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I see. A, I see a six co- of Kevin Bacon happening. Here. Yeah, absolutely. So my lineage to the throne, I have. I now can claim because I'm co-hosting here today. So, <laughs> so I've, been, I've been a musical guest on both this show, Spooky South Coast, and Thirty Odd Minutes. Ooh. And Matt Moniz, we played in a little group up there too with the Oddballs. Yep. So that was kind of like the uh, inception of the whole EVP thing, uh, and uh, also um, a little known fact. Little known fact about Chops Wood is that I actually booked Jeff Belanger on a TV show. You did? Yes, I did. It was the Gumbo Show, which is a local cable TV show in Wareham on mm-hmm. WCTV. Props to WCTV. And uh, he, he was booked on the showman on there and uh, had a terrible time, but it was fun <laughs> for me. Uh, also did a solo and, and a duo. I did a solo at the first Paranite, yes, which was yeah. sponsored by... Spooky South Coast? Yeah. And Lizzie Borden's? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I did a solo act there to open up, and I also did a duo with Matt Moniz. Yep. And we sang uh, a, the a No-No song. song. Yeah. The No-No song, <laughs> which is a great song. If, if you know what it is, look it up. You Google it. You'll, you'll, you'll understand why we were singing it. Uh, also, uh, I'm the only person to have been on a ghost, a cryptozoological, two of them, and a UFO investigation with Matt Moniz. Is that true? That, Am I the only you, person no. that's been on those three different types of investigations? In fact, two cryptozoological investigations I've been on with Matt Moniz. Yes. One for a big cat and one for a large humanoid bipedal and unknown you, in the Bridgewater Triangle. Do you find it's hard to track sense of animals when you're with Moniz? Um, kind of overpower? Well, it and, depends you know, on which up. way the wind is. <laughs> <laughs> No, he's great. I love going out with Matt. You know, I call him up and I say, Matt, you know, we got a big cat sighting. He says, let's go. Mm-hmm. You know, and actually, if, if, technically, we actually did two investigations that day. Yes. We did a big cat, and then we actually did a paranormal investigation of a location that was uh, that you covered in your book, Tim. Your book is The uh, Ghosts of Ghost the, South, of the Coast. South Coast. And we have copies of it for sale it's for fantastic. the new audience. If you want to come by, it's $20. Great I'll sign book. it for you. Great book. Fantastic. Love the book from cover to cover. Read it from cover to cover, right from the forward to the uh, epilogue. Fantastic. If, you, if you're going to have a book, get Tim's book. If you're interested in the area, it covers just about everything. Uh, only a couple more things here. Um, I have also have a paranormal dog, <laughs> Taps. <laughs> but mine's not, mine's not been on film yet. But Matt can verify yep. that I've been trying to get it on film now for about three years. Um, most importantly... Okay, I, I am married to the silent assassin's second cousin. So he's got a family in. Known fact, okay, and she's known as the not-so-silent and very obvious assassin. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Susie. Yeah, Susie, I'll, I'll, I'll kick him <laughs> under the table for that one. And the last thing is I love zombie movies, cotton candy, and long walks in the freezing rain. Carl, you're leaving out a very important part. Uh-oh. 
No, you are also a member of law enforcement dealing with animals. Uh, as well. yes, I or, have done that. Yes, absolutely. So that's, we got to keep the day jobs. <laughs> <laughs> I do know a lot about animals, and and I I well, you know, I was talking to Kristen a little bit, uh, you know, before we started, and uh, we, we were speaking about uh, different types of animals and things like that, and, and law enforcement. Um, and I've spoken to some uh, people that I've met in law enforcement. Um, that have had paranormal experiences, and mm-hmm. they uh, they sometimes are not willing to talk about it because of their, you know, their position. Uh, but I have met a couple that are very willing to talk about it, and they're very open about their paranormal experiences. Because they make some of the best witnesses, Absolutely. in my opinion. I'm, I'm a lot of people's opinion. Yeah. Absolutely. Well, and not only do you have all those credentials, but I, I dare say that you're a better paranormal investigator than you are a musician. Well, thank and you. I think <laughs> and I think you're one of the greatest musicians I've ever had the pleasure wow, of hearing. So that's there you awesome. go. That's That is awesome. And I, I still I can't believe that you actually will lower yourself to, you know, I, actually playing alongside me. No, so. absolutely anytime. You guys were great. Well, we we should have booked something for tonight, man. Yeah. Absolutely. Should have booked something next door. All right, let's get into the Good Bridgewater Triangle talk. Let's introduce our guest that's here in the studio. We have Kristen Good from, you need to come up with a name for your organization, <laughs> but you're a Bridgewater Triangle researcher and historian. Mm-hmm. And we also have on the phone with us, if Matt wants to bring him up, we have uh, Manny Famolari, is that right? And uh, he's joining us via telephone. Good evening, Manny. How you doing? Good evening. How are you? Oh, we are spooktacular. And uh, so, Manny and Kristen, how did this whole just beginning of this research team come about? Um, well, I started researching the Bridgewater Triangle the second I learned about it, and I grew up in the area, had never heard of it. I bought a Weird Massachusetts for a friend and was skimming through it and got to the chapter on the Bridgewater Triangle, and when I got to the, the black dog story, that was a story from my childhood that I remembered, and um, it just became an obsession since then. And then Manny and I teamed up because... He researched just like I did. Mm-hmm. We go into historical societies, the Boston Public Library we use a lot, and um, we like to find proof behind the legends. So I guess we just are like-minded, and we work well together. So, uh, Manny, when you started researching the Triangle, uh, did you kind of stand on the shoulders of those who had researched before you, guys like Lauren Coleman to our friend Chris Balzano, Chris Pittman, or did you try to go in your own direction? Well, when I first heard about it, I heard about it when I was a kid. I grew up watching the TV show Unsolved Mysteries. So my mother's friend knew that I was always into kind of the paranormal ghosts and and things like that. And and she started telling me about odd things that were happening in the town that I live in, which is East Bridgewater. And I started researching more at the library, and that's where I found out that the name uh, was the Bridgewater Triangle. And then I pretty much went into it uh, from there, and I've been researching it since then, since I was a kid. And it, seem, it seems like, uh, at least from what I've seen, that you guys are kind of putting a lot of your research on your Facebook page. Mm-hmm. And that's a great way because that's, that's something people go to every day, all day, in the case of some people that never off it. And uh, so it's a good way. I'm not pointing any fingers here, too. But uh, it's it's a good way to keep it fresh in people's minds. And is that something that you're trying to do to incorporate all this new social media and getting the word out? Well, when I first started researching the triangle, I found that people were very, very guarded mm-hmm. with um, their research, their investigations. Uh, we try to 
put it out there and share information and hopefully get information in return. And so far it's worked out pretty good. I think that uh, as more people are becoming aware of the idea that there is this strange area of strangeness uh, here in southeastern Massachusetts, they're trying to find more information about it. And a lot of the websites that are dedicated to it have been static over the years. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, Chris Pittman's site is pretty much what it is. Chris Balzano now living down in Florida, his his site is what it is. So it's good that there's somebody fresh that's out there focusing not on ghosts and and stopping in the triangle along their way or focusing on UFOs and stopping there for certain things, mm-hmm. but somebody that's dedicated to that area. And there's so many there are so many new legends that are going to be coming out with our film that you, someone was asking about Thomas Downey on the chat room. I mean, that's just ancient history. And it's funny, people are really stuck in the Coleman mythology. So in a sense, you you guys are boots on the ground in, in the triangle. Absolutely. And you're not just pulling stuff up from old people's research and no, rehashing. No, we're, we're out there every day, pretty much. So, so like I said, you're, you're marching the trails, you're... You're digging in the old cellar holes. You're, you know. Absolutely. Yeah, well, active investigation. I mean, let's just take a step back a little bit for, for the people who are new to the show or new to the idea of the Bridgewater Triangle. Uh, Manny, in your words, how would you describe the Bridgewater Triangle? Well, it's an area in southeastern Massachusetts that a lot of odd and unexplained things have happened. And, of course, when people Google the Bridgewater Triangle, the first things that they start seeing is Bigfoot sightings, Thunderbird sightings, UFO sightings. And, I mean, UFOs are seen all over the world, so there's nothing special about one being seen in Bridgewater. But it's the stuff that we have found, such as a trend in in car accidents or murders or suicides or just odd and unexplained accidents that we've seen that has... We've seen a trend and that has just completely caused a... uh, an unexplained, you know, area that is in the east, west, and Bridgewater area that um, a lot of odd things have happened. Well, uh, I want to ask you about that because you mentioned the east, the west, and the Bridgewater. For those unfamiliar, uh, there's three different sections that are kind of townships under themselves. There's east Bridgewater, west Bridgewater, and Bridgewater proper. And Lauren Coleman, uh, and anybody who knows cryptozoology, uh, they know that name. He was the one that first called the area the Bridgewater Triangle, made up of those three ver- vertices. It's since been expanded out, I know, uh, guys like Chris Pittman and Chris Balzano, to like Abington, to Freetown. And, you know, we talk all the time with Chris about this being an ever-expanding triangle. Uh, Kristen, do you think that it falls within certain parameters still, or do you think that it's kind of seeping out of that nice geographic shape? Well, I don't think it ever was a triangle. Mm -hmm. I think it became a triangle um, out of convenience and the popularity of the Bermuda Triangle when it was, um, you know, coined, when Coleman coined it. Um, There are definitely towns in the triangle that are not active, and then there's towns outside of the triangle that are very active. So Carlston and I discuss the map all the time. Yes, that's true. The closest thing that I, you know, my theory is if you took a map of King Philip's War, his war path. Mm-hmm. That's the most accurate map I can find. I believe it definitely goes up to at least Weymouth to the north, possibly up to Boston. So and then down to the Cape. I would say Sandwich is definitely part of the Bridgewater Triangle. Halifax, Hanson, Whitman, well, Whitman's 
just a corner of it is on the map now, but, you know, Whitman has a lot of activity. Lots of black helicopter sightings, lots of hauntings. Well, and we need to stress to people, though, that when we say that these towns are incorporated within, within the triangle, we don't mean uh, that there's a few reports and that earns them triangle status. Mm-hmm. It ha- it's a heavy concentration of reports, and it's a lot. It's reports of activity that spans the entire gamut of what we call paranormal. Is there, uh, is there any town or any particular uh, group of towns that stand out in your mind as being the most particularly Absolutely. active? Absolutely. Um, Manny and I both feel that the place to focus on is East Bridgewater, West Bridgewater, and Bridgewater. Absolutely, yeah. without a doubt. If there's a vortex, that's where it is. Well, it's, it's interesting, Manny, because, uh, you know, Chris Balzano and, and other researchers point instead to the Freetown State Forest as being uh, what might be the heart of that vortex. Uh, what, what, what is it that has you sold on the idea of it being the Bridgewaters? Well, a lot of people feel that um, Freetown is the center. Freetown is known for its uh, satanic activity and, and cult activity and the murders that were found there. As far as uh, activity goes with UFO sightings and, and Bigfoot sightings and just uh, odd and unexplained things, I think the majority of them, from what Kristen and I have researched, is in the the East Bridgewater area and West Bridgewater and uh, in Bridgewater area. All the uh, information and research that we're getting about Freetown mainly has to do with the, the murders and the suicides, not so much the, uh, the other things that we're finding out about the Bridgewater. Absolutely. And, and the difference being is uh, a lot of uh, the previous determinations were made based on prior reports, and your determinations are being made by active reports, things that you're getting told to you all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I also wonder, though, if if somebody kind of focused their research on another town or another couple of towns in the area, do you think they'd see kind of the same thing? Do Absolutely th- not. No? no way. No way. Okay. It, well, goes back yeah. to the, it goes back to the settlement of Bridgewater. I mean, the, um, the patterns of murders go back to the 1700s, and they are... Just like the ones that are just ha- you know still happening mm-hmm. a year ago um, last summer, a husband attacked his wife with a hammer. Another guy killed his baby in Bridgewater, and these are the kind of historical reports you find: mothers murdering their sons, sons murdering their mothers. It's all family, and if you go into the Bridgewater Police Twitter, it's all family domestic disputes. It's just bizarre. Well, now I'm going to ask you the million-dollar question. What's that? I know it. I know it, here it is only, you know, a few minutes into the show, and I'm going to ask the big question. But, and I'll ask each of you your own thoughts on this. Okay. Kristen first. Is the Bridgewater Triangle the cause of all this, or is the Bridgewater Triangle the result of all of this? Is this vortex what causes all this negativity, or does the negativity cause the vortex, in, in your okay. thoughts? I believe that the vortex always existed. I feel that the bloodshed of King Philip's war and the curse just fortified that energy. It's energy, energy on top of energy. That's what I believe. And, and Manny, and, what do you think? I, no, I mean, I agree with her. I mean, there is, you know, definitely something about this area that could go back even further than King Philip's war. But, no, there, there, there definitely is something. I agree with, with Kristen on that one. It, there's some thought that, you know, even when the natives owned all this land, well, not owned it, but when they, 
you know, lived upon this land and, and, uh, and there was no European influence, that even they avoided this area. Even they did not want to be in the Hockamock Swamp, say, in the in the Bridgewater Triangle, in any of these spots that we point to as being high activity of the paranormal. Uh, but now, modern progress, you can't help it. You know, there's good land there. There's mm-hmm. There's all these housing developments that are popping up. There's railways popping up. There's new roadways being constructed all the time. And as that happens, it's cutting into these areas. And do you think that that is causing more of this activity to be stirred up? Uh, no, I don't think so. No? No. Because, like I said, we, we look at um from a historical aspect, and there's not more activity now, not by any means. Are we in kind of a recession point of the activity, or is it just kind of a constant? Um, well, we're going to hopefully be talking to Derek Holt, who's been having a lot of UFO sightings in the Triangle, Besides his sighting, uh, there's been at least five UFO sightings in the town of East Bridgewater in the last three months. All orbs of different colors, orange, red, white, and they're similar to Derek's story. And what might surprise people if they don't know is actually the first UFO sighting in America happened in the Bridgewater Triangle. So, there you go. 1760? I don't know, exactly. Carl, I wasn't there. It was actually in the 1600s. 1600s. And it was on the Charles River. <laughs> well, <laughs> Like I said, I wasn't there. <laughs> you know, I think actually, you know, what, what Kristen does is, um, you know, she not only does new information, but she delves into records and goes places that a lot of people don't go and brings up a lot of stuff. Um, the cat, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Are, they're kind of lost and buried in the archives. Um, so not only is it new, fresh information, but she's also going and finding some things that are, are long forgotten. Mm-hmm. And uh, bring it along. And if, if you go to her blog site, which is thebridgewiretriangle.com, she has a lot of statistics on there that back up what she's saying about the level of paranormal activity and also death rates and things like that. So you can look that up there. It, it, imagine that, though. Research that's actually research. <laughs> yes. Not just people yeah. running out with uh, cameras and tape recorders. Absolutely. I've always believed that the. The best stories come from people that do not know anything about the Bridgewater Triangle because I I have always found that when you talk to some kid that knows all about it, he'll always try and and come up with a story that he's seen the red-headed hitchhiker of 44, that he's seen a UFO. But when you talk to somebody that has absolutely no idea anything about the Bridgewater Triangle and you ask them, if they've ever experienced anything odd in that area, and they start telling you, yes, I have, this is what I've experienced, it always seems to me like it's from the Bridgewater or East Bridgewater or Bridgewater area. Well, you, Bridgewater. I was going to say, you've got the chat room buzzing here, Kristen. We have to ask you now, <coughs> uh, because our friend Laura in the chat room, who has a cat as her avatar, mm-hmm. in the chat room on Spooky mm-hmm. TV, wants to know, what about the cat? Okay. Um, about a month ago, we came across an article from 1934 and it was about a wild cat four feet long, and it attacked a woman and a child, but they shot it. Is that unusual, four feet long? What kind of cat would you say that was, Constant? Uh Four feet long, uh, you're looking at some type of uh, puma or cougar or something okay. like that. Uh, bobcats usually aren't that long. Yeah. Um, it also would depend on the description, the anatomical description of the cat, the mm-hmm. length of the tail, ears, that type of a thing. I'll send you the article. Uh, but, but it was, it was uh, on a rooftop. It, it attacked rooftop. them from a rooftop. And it was uh, discovered in one of the local newspaper archives. That's standard mm-hmm. puma attack. Yeah. yeah. Absolutely. 
from above. Where yeah. did I find that one? What was the town? I think it was in the Boston. I found it in the Boston Globe. It was in um, East Bridgewater. East Bridgewater. Yeah. Well, and when you go back and you look through all these, uh, you know, historical records, do you find that these stories, the tone of them, uh, what's the tone of the people who are reporting these stories back in that time? Are they? They're not putting together any kind of pattern at all. And um, a lot of things that happened in the Bridgewater area made national news. So, um, but were they taken seriously, or was it kind of like the the weird news of the week, like we do no, here? No, 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 uh, no, no, no. As, actually, let's talk about Mandy. Do you want to talk about? Raining frogs? Oh. Yeah, we can, oh, we can talk about that one. Sure. We can also talk about the storm that was over Lake Nipponecket. Okay. Well, Carlston actually has had a personal experience with the Absolutely. raining frogs in the 90s. So, Manny, why don't you tell the story about the raining frogs from 1910, and then maybe Carlston can talk about the raining Absolutely. frogs in the same area, Lake Nip. Sure. Well, I did, I did find an article that frogs were falling from the sky. Uh, legitimately one day over, I think, I believe it was, yeah, it was School Street in Bridgewater. And, uh, they had a witness that went out there seeing things falling from the sky. And when they did, uh, go up to what had fallen, it was a frog and it was in fact alive. And it was just hopping right away <laughs> after it fell from the ground. Well, uh, maybe Carl could make a new song, It's Raining Frogs. <laughs> it's Raining Frogs. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Actually, what happened with with my personal experience was uh, probably not the 90s. It was uh, probably 81. Uh, I'd been out late uh, driving around, as you know, a young person does, uh, down by the nip with uh, a buddy of mine, and uh, it was very dark, uh, and it was it was pouring rain, and we were going up over one of the overpasses, um, and looked on the ground and saw just hundreds of little of the peeper frogs that you see, mm-hmm. the ones that you hear in the springtime, uh, just all over the place. Just And we thought, you know, perhaps, you know, what are they doing? And we got out and took a look, and it seemed to us anyway at that time that they were actually coming down with the rain. It was a pretty torrential downpour, but it was peepers, and they were all over the road. Was that near the Lake Nip? It was near the Nip. Absolutely. Okay. Was it, go- was it going over the 495 overpass? It very well could have been. Yeah, that that's actually... Um that's actually where the UFO saying was that was recently posted on yes. our Facebook, actually. I think it was the Lawrence Dowd was the name of the uh, memorial, what they put the, the servicemen on. I think it was the Lawrence Dowd Memorial Bridge overpass. Uh, when you're going back and reviewing 40 and phenomena, the raining frogs is one of the most common, as well as raining fish and stones and things like that. But they found that usually in most cases, especially in association with the heavy rains, updrafts in like small tornadoes, eddies of wind pick up um, debris from local swamps and that, and it starts raining down. Buzzkill. Sorry. <laughs> well, I mean, re- just kidding. It's <laughs> but they know that that is one of the causes of these things, especially if the storm is coming from one side where it would be picking it up from a lower spot, raising up to a higher spot, and the frogs are just basically falling out of a small tornado or what would well, be a that dust of them. would make a lot of sense because Manny and I have found a pattern of absolutely explosive storms in the Lake Nip area. Yes, and that's because it's sitting in a bowl. Is that why? Yes, geologically it's in a little bowl. If you go back and read uh, The Book of the Damned by Charles Fort, anybody who's read that, he presents a lot of cases of different 
rain showers or different items that really shouldn't be falling from the sky. Mm-hmm. And uh, a lot of people did follow that path and say, you know, okay, well, let's see if we can figure out why this is happening. As we're talking about this, we're getting uh, reports here in the chat room of it happening in the south end of New Bedford many years ago. Mm-hmm. So, uh, you know, if it's if it's raining frogs, just, I guess, go out there with a bucket and catch them <laughs> and let the little guys go down as best you can. So, but, I mean, that's just one of the many strange phenomena that happens. Uh, Manny, in your opinion, what's the weirdest story that you've heard that comes out of the Triangle? I think just the brutality and everything that took place at, at Bridgewater State Prison. Mm. I, I believe that is one of the worst prisons there is out there. And the stories <clears throat> that uh, have come out of that prison, and it just so happens to be in Bridgewater. Frederick Wiseman did a documentary in 1967 called Titicate Follies mm-hmm. that showed the, uh, the abuse and everything that those prisoners went through. But the stories and the research that Kristen and I have found go far beyond that. Uh, people kept in iron cages, uh, people given lobotomies, and uh, everything. And it's, I, I think that that prison, uh, some of the worst stories come out of there. And you know they're bad when Titicut Follies was actually banned in Massachusetts yeah. uh, for about yeah. 20 years. It was. Yeah, it is. So uh, now it's available. Uh, you can order it from uh, from Wiseman's website. And if, uh, if you don't want to pay the $40 for it, I have a copy. It's, uh. an, it's an incredible. I haven't <laughs> seen the whole thing, it, but it's absolutely incredible what I saw. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, it was award-winning. And everybody who gets into this for the thrill-seeking aspect of it, you know, all the high school kids that get together in a car on a Friday night and need something to do, they all say the same thing. We're going to go, you know, break into this hospital. We're going to go break into that hospital. And we have to say that we don't advise that. We always have to put this little disclaimer in there. Yes. You know, we're going to talk about these places, but we don't advise that you go there without permission uh, and that if you do have permission or if you are going to go somewhere that's a public place, always notify the police department to let them know of your intentions and what you're doing. It's kind of like that, you know, WWE don't try this at home disclaimer that we have to watch yeah. every week. So same thing. Right. Taunton, Taunton State Hospital, which Taunton is also in the Bridgewater Triangle, I, I believe that hospital as well. That uh, There's been some horrible patients. that I, I work as a paramedic, and I, I've been there at all hours of the night. I've uh, taken patients in and out of there, and I I got to tell you the the, uh, the harm that these patients have inflicted on themselves or on other people or plans of, that they've had to do things to other people. Uh, it's the worst out of all of them that I've ever been to. It's uh, it's pretty uh, interesting to go into the Toronto State Hospital. Anybody will tell you that that's been there. One of the most interesting things that I find about the whole Bridgewater triangle thing is it has the most mental health facilities per capita in the area than Mm. anywhere else in any other state interesting i never heard that that's very interesting growing up in the area as a teenager you know the place that we always wanted to go was down behind the the farm we called it the farm Mm. and it was Bridgewater street you know we obviously heard the stories of titicate follies and uh and all the different things that uh, had happened there and the fact that uh um, the Boston Strangler was was held there for for a period of time, and and uh, different people like that. Um, but we actually, I personally actually had an experience with a friend um, that is directly related to uh, what's uh, cited in uh, Lauren Coleman's book, Mysterious America. Um, it was it was a little earlier than the uh, Flying Frogs um, episode. Um, and we had been uh, was a, with another friend, and we had been driving. Um, behind the farm. We used to go down there because uh, it was quiet and there was no houses down there. It's been developed a little bit since then. And, um, you know, we had come down and it was uh, towards dusk 
and we had come down heading towards the back of the farm on the right-hand side. And on the left-hand side, they had these big hay fields. And coming across the field, we saw what we thought was a pony. But as it got closer to the car, we noticed that it was an extremely, extremely large dog. Now, this is the same thing that's in Lauren's book. This is prior to to Lauren's book. Mm -hmm. And it came right up to the edge of the road, and it was absolutely massive head with some really strange-looking eyes. And we just slowed down to see what it was coming towards us. And when this thing came close to the edge, right up to the edge of the road, we just floored it and, and took off. And as an animal guy myself, I can't logically um, tell you what type of dog that was. It was just absolutely enormous, and it was incredibly angry, and it came up to the side of the road, and uh, we just took off. It was one, myself and one other uh, friend at the time. That was in the days before dogs learned to hate you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. So, uh, Kristen, what would you say is the strangest report that you've heard, the one that absolutely blows your mind? I don't know if people are ready to share this, but um, well, we're ready. the Illuminati connections to the Bridgewater Triangle really? are what blows my mind the most. The There's symbol- a lot of research we've done. There's <laughs> symbols everywhere. And they say, in plain sight, and it's all in plain sight. Have you ever looked at the Bridgewater Town Sale? No. It is a, a, a fist with a hammer with a gin, a symbol of the Illuminati, gin lantern. And then that's sitting on a castle, and the castle is sitting on stilts. Do you think that's bizarre? For, one, for a town that was the first inland settlement? In the United States, you'd think there'd be an Indian on there? Well, I'm, I'm actually waiting for Costa to pull it up here on the computer because he's good at that stuff. Oh, yeah, there we go. Yeah. Well, and, and what do you believe is the connection between the two? What do you see as the purpose? It's very, very, very complicated. I can tell you some hints. Um, the Solitude Stone is a huge hint, and the author of the Solitude Stone, Timothy Otis Payne, um, he was the uh, minister of the New Church of Jerusalem, which I just went there. They're, they're going to be tearing it down soon, and it's so blatant. It's the um, Knights Templar symbol. It's right on their sign. Um, and another clue is Reverend Keith. Um, the people of Bridgewater, um, the way the laws were set up, nobody could be a town official unless they had a religious affiliation. They wanted to find the perfect minister for Bridgewater. It, they searched for 16 years. I always assumed that Reverend Keith was elderly. He was 18 years old. Oh, wow. Um, he was from Scotland, which is, you know, an important place for Freemasons. You also have to wonder why is there a place, a part of Bridgewater called Scotland. Um, the Solitude Stone we theorize, could be a marker of some kind. Um, Manny, do you want to tell them what you found a couple of weeks ago when you were there? At the... At the Solitude Stone? I, I went there in the morning to take a picture of the uh, the poem that was inscribed on the rock, and it was it was actually gone. Gone. I actually took a picture of it, and I thought, you know, because a lot of these things, like, I don't... You know, Kristen and I like to find truth, and, you know, neither one of us, you know, expects to go down to Bridgewater and see Bigfoot or anything like that. We don't we don't believe in that. Why not? But, um, you know, we like to find a lot of truth behind things. And I had gone down there, and I, I took a picture of it at various angles, and the palm was gone. 
Wow. And it this was, is uh, this is at the end of Forestry, and every time we go down there, we have um, equipment malfunctions. Batteries die. Sometimes they die forever. Sometimes they come back on when you get out of the area. Interesting to note, that's where the um, the fort was for the war. Not far from there is where the Indian camp was. And I believe that that was the access road, well, the access path where the colonists went in to fight the war. Um, it makes the most sense if you look at the original paths, which the colonists would have had to have gone down because they just wouldn't have just went into the woods. Forest Street was an original path. But um, Payne is infinitely interesting. He made many pilgrims to the, the Holy Land. Um, he wrote a book called Solomon's Temple, where he recreated uh, the architecture of Solomon's Temple. He also translated the Egyptian Book of the Dead to English. If, if you know anything about Freemasonry, these are essential components to Freemasonry. Yes. He's, uh, he's probably going to And I have so much respect for the Freemasons. He's probably going to have to snap your neck after this for they revealing do so <laughs> much good for so many people. <laughs> Thank you, Matt. You're welcome. <laughs> well, we are coming up uh, toward the end of the hour, but if you want to call in and ask some questions or share some experiences that you might have had in the Bridgewater Triangle, you can give us a call, 508-996-0500, You can also email us, spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com. And I got one more thing to mention about the seal, if you were to look at it carefully. You notice that if you if you look at it, it's set inside the Ark, the Ark of the Covenant. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, I, kn- I, yeah, I noticed that a lot of Freemason seals have that same shape, but I didn't know what it was. No, you didn't. Thank you. You're welcome. Excellent. All right. Love and it. <laughs> we, we do have a, a mention here in the chat room uh, about the redheaded hitchhiker who was mentioned in the chat room earlier, and someone wanted to know a little bit more about that. I know that Rehoboth might fall outside of the area of where you research, mm-hmm. but it's so haunted you can't not pay attention to it right. as well. Uh, why don't we recount the redheaded hitchhiker story for, for sure. those who have never heard it? Okay. Um, a historian named Charles Turk Robinson, the person that collected the stories of the redheaded hitchhiker, um, his stories span from about 1968 to the late 80s. As far as I know, that's where it ends. I've no, I have never heard another hitchhiker story. But the best hitchhiker, my favorite hitchhiker story, is about a couple whose car broke down. And this was before cell phones. And the guy said to his wife, wait in the car, and I'm going to go find a payphone. And he walked down dark, the dark, lonely Route 44. And he walked by a man who was sitting on the side of the road. And he asked the man, do you know where there is a payphone? And the man didn't answer him. And then he asked him again, and the man didn't answer him. He asked him again, no answer. So the guy started to get freaked out. So he decided to go back to the car. As he was going back to the car, he found, he heard this evil laugh, which seemed to surround him. And when he got back to the car, his wife was scared to death, and she was outside of the car shaking. And he said, what, what happened? Apparently, she had turned the radio on, and she was listening to a song, and all of a sudden, the red-headed hitchhiker started speaking her name. Wow. That's my favorite story. And, and there's similar reports, too, of where people will be driving down the road. They'll see him on the side of the road. They'll pick him up. They'll give him a ride. And they'll get, you know, however far they get when he'll just disappear. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes he'll get very visibly agitated and then start laughing and disappear. But it always ends up the same way. You know, it's the redhead, the, redhead, the beard, 
usually a red flannel shirt. They pick him up, he gives them hell, and then he's gone. Mm. I'd love to hear a recent story, and I've looked for him, believe me. Oh, well, we, we've we <laughs> actually taken recent yeah. stories yeah. here on the show. Well, oh, really? Yeah. Normally when we do the Bridgewater Triangle Investigation Show, which we'll be doing coming up in a few months, we'd love to have you and Manny back for that. We actually send teams out, and they'll actually go out, and we'll position a team right, right on 44 and Rehoboth. And uh, we'll put well, we'll just keep them out in that general area, and they always go up and down that road, hoping to pit, pick the hitchhiker up and mm-hmm. you know put him on the phone with us for a little while. <laughs> it, but you know, every every area has those type road legends, and we've actually found through talking with other people in other states that this redheaded hitchhiker is seen all along Route 44. Not just here yeah. in our area, really? mm-hmm. but all along. So we're actually mm-hmm. planning an episode of the show sometime where we're going to have teams positioned from where 44 begins in Plymouth all the way to where it ends in Texas yep. and just have them along the really? way that is so hoping to catch this guy on the road sometime. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. All right. Well, we are coming up on the end of the first hour of the program, but when we come back, we will be uh, talking more about the Bridgewater Triangle. We're also going to try to connect with the gentleman who caught the uh, UFO footage, which you can see on the Bridgewater Triangle Facebook page. Uh, if you go there now, and it's if you go to SpookySouthCoast.com and click on uh, the guest slides, it'll lead you to their uh, Facebook page. And if you also go to mine, Tim Weisberg, uh, it's linked up there as well. And check it out for yourself during the break. See what you think. When we come back, we'll talk about it. We're also going to talk a little bit later on about the house and the area where I had my first paranormal experiences because when Kristen and I started talking about this, I started to realize she had more research than I or my family had ever done, and it's starting to connect a lot of the dots together, and it's blowing my mind. So we're going to talk <laughs> about that as well, which, of course, you can read in Ghosts of the South Coast, as Carl so adequately plugged earlier. Great book. And like I said, there's some copies for sale here at the studio. If you want to get down here before we leave at 7 o'clock, it's uh, $20, and I'll sign it for you and. uh Carl will sing you a song. Absolutely. <laughs> so thank you for buying it. And uh, so when we come back, we'll do all of that. Uh, we're going to take a break for the news. want to tell everybody who is a first-time listener of the show. Again, we do this each and every Saturday night, talking about the paranormal, the strange, the supernatural, the unusual. And we've been doing it now for fi- over five years. So if you want to listen to some of our previous shows, you can just go to SpookySouthCoast.com, click on the Archive tab at the top, and every episode we've ever done, is all there for you to download, to listen to, to put on your iPod. You can stream it right online, whatever you want to do. And uh, since about July, we've got all the video uh, saved up there as well for you to see on the Spooky TV page at Ustream. Nice. So many ways to enjoy the show. What are you waiting for? Oh, yeah, you're waiting for the second hour of the show, <laughs> which will be coming up in just a few minutes here on Spooky South Coast. And I'm with so much time and so little to do. Strike that. Reverse it. This way, please. Who's going to tell him? Let's not wake him. You'll find out soon enough. Let him have one last. Spooky South Coast is back. No one is safe. Hold on tight. I'm not exactly sure what's going to happen. Welcome back. Hour number two of Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa, science advisor Matt Moniz, and a whole slate of guests that are joining us tonight to talk about the Bridgewater Triangle. And we mentioned earlier in the show, in the first hour, that there were some uh, fresh UFO reports that had just happened in the last week or so. And uh, we actually have the gentleman on the line right now who captured this film. His name is Derek Holt. Yeah. And uh, he's joining us now to talk with us about his experiences. Good evening, Derek. Thank you for joining us. Welcome Good to Spooky evening. South Coast. 
So uh, good evening. Oh. I do only have fifteen minutes. I just want you to know I'm uh, I'm a DJ and I'm in between. My buddy's handling the equipment right now. <laughs> well, we'll so, keep we'll only keep you for about five. So all right, perfect. All right, and uh, so explain to us what happened. Uh, wh- how you captured this footage that's up on the Bridgewater Triangle Facebook page? Well, basically, uh, I started seeing some things in the air. And, uh, the most recent one was November, the night before Thanksgiving. I saw a blue orb in the sky that looked kind of funny. Uh, it looked like a star, but it was a little brighter than a star, and it started, like, changing colors and stuff. So I'm like, well, that's definitely weird, you know. So as I drove along, I live down in South Middleborough, Mass. Um, I take 495. I DJ late night. So, you know, I was, you know, I didn't drink at all that night. I seen the thing, and I was like, that's definitely something that is not from this world. So. I uh, told a few friends, you know, and, you know, of course, everybody's like, wow, that's cool, you know, you, I know you've seen it, because I know you, you know what I mean? So, mm-hmm. um, so I, you know, I put it in the back of my head, and, you know, I kept my eyes on the sky. Uh, well, recently, in this past week or ten days uh, from from today, or two weeks from today, like when the, when the earthquake happened, shortly after that, I started seeing the orbs again. So I kept my eyes on the orbs, and, and, and I noticed near the orbs that uh, these blinkers would come in. I call them blinkers because they blink like planes, but they definitely weren't planes. So I kept seeing them. Um, I chased one down one night. I have an office over in southeast of Mass. I chased one over to Ann's place uh, in Norton, over near where uh, um the airport is you could see over the water I, I, you know I tried to film it with a, a small uh, camera I had that could record MPEGs and you could see it but you know and, and to one of my friends he's like that's definitely strange you know and what happened was near the orb the blinkers would appear and the blinkers turned into ships and I've seen these like they look like plane like objects heading from, towards my way so I'm you know I'm like alright the airport's here it's probably planes so I started seeing uh, on long trips to um, DJ gigs out in Worcester and stuff on along 495. I started seeing these things, and I'll tell you right now, they definitely didn't look like airplanes, and and I couldn't really describe what they were. So you know, I I, I dropped my MacBook and I, and I broke my Mac uh, screen, and I need you know I DJ through my Mac, so I got it repaired. And across the street was a Best Buy, and I'm like, I'm gonna go into Best Buy see if I can find a cheap video camera. So I can keep my sanity. So I, um, they had a store model one that was like 125 bucks. I'm like, all right, 125 bucks. I mean, I just dropped 350 on the screen. I'm like, this sucks, you know, but I got to do this for my own sanity. So I filmed, uh, you know, one from my office that was like, you know, questionable star. Uh, could have been, you know, a UFO or a satellite. Who knows, you know? So I was like, all right. And then I drove with my buddy who helps me DJ. He's a trainee. He came with me. We were off to one gig. I had the camera ready, and I seen it. So I pulled over. I pulled over the Rainham Dog Track parking lot. I filmed this blue orb, and then it just started glowing, like almost like a plasma, like change in it. And my buddy's right there with me. He's seen it. Um, I then I put it up YouTube that night. I emailed a bunch of friends. My friends couldn't explain it. And I'm like, all right, I'm on to something. Yeah, I definitely captured something. And then... Um, the next night, I DJed up in Wachusa Mountain. I do this gig up there at the Cop Top Lounge. I DJed in the afternoon and do like a rock mix. And then I came home and I had another gig that evening. My buddy was going to come with me. He wanted to grab a bottle for the club, so I went.
his house. He lives in Rainham over near Prospect Hill. And sure enough, I'm right under this orb as it's like birthing these ships. And I captured two, three ships coming out on video. And you clearly see it. it one from, when, when this blue orb shows up, there's like orange orbs show up next to it that are really bright. So I started filming each and every one of these, and I have three videos of them on my YouTube, which some of you have seen. Uh, so the first one, it just turned into a ship that was like triangular shaped, um, and took off like heading from Taunton towards Rainham, uh, towards 138 from Prospect Hill area. So like I filmed this thing, I couldn't believe what I was filming. Uh, my buddy comes out, you, you can hear him on the video, and I'm like, I don't know what the fuck this is. Excuse my language. I don't know. If, are we on internet radio? No, no, we're on broadcast radio. <clears throat> I'm sorry about that. That's all right. We'll just put the FCC fine. Oh man, my bad. <laughs> and so, it figures it's the one night we're on before 10 p.m. Yeah, yeah. Where they might actually be listening. Sorry. Go ahead. All right. Go ahead. Go my ahead. bad, dude. Uh, I'll I'll keep it. Um, well, you know, obviously I was dumbfounded, so I was swearing at this point. I just, you know, it was really a mis- mystery to what was happening, but. I actually, I mean, I knew what was happening, and, and that's why I had the camera, and that's why I was there to film it, but it just still was shocking to me that it was happening right underneath me, where I was. So I captured the first ship, and it left, and it was triangular-shaped. I mean, and the second one looked similar to it, and then the third one that came in looked like a UFO, and it looked like they were like, uh-uh, you know, that, you know that's not acceptable for this area, and like they went back to an orb, and then it changed into a different ship. And you can see, like, these little orbs that were flying around. There's probably, like, six six of these little orbs that were, like, you know, maybe watching everything, making sure everything went down, and they were, like, tiny, and they were floating around the air, and they had a slight blink to them. And then there was also, like, four or five ships that came in from this area that were flying around in this area. So the neighbor comes out of the house, uh, my buddy's neighbor, and I want to get her on film, like, explaining what she's seen as well, but I got I to gotta talk to her, but... She comes out and she's like, why are there so many planes in the air? Like, I have no idea. I'm like laughing at this point. I'm like, this is just ridiculous. And, uh, and I captured the whole thing on film and, you know, and I, and I'm trying to let people know what I've seen just to, you know, not only keep my own sanity, but, you know, questioning what it is. And, you know, I've probably taken a week. It's been about a week now. And I, I, you know, probably concluded Wednesday that 100% what I've seen was definitely not from this world. And I did that in my own mind, and for me to do that, being skeptic as my as myself, is just a lot for me. And like and now, I'm just trying to put the word out to like just my friends at least to let them know, hey man, take a look at the skies. There's stuff going on, you know. Even someone hit me up on my YouTube site that said, hey, you know, like I seen this thing in Brockton too. What is it? Mm-hmm. You know. So I mean, it's definitely there's a lot happening, a lot of activity happening, and it's happening a lot lately. So. I uh, just want everyone to know, you know, be aware, look at the skies, and, you know, what the heck is it? I just, you know, I want answers, you know? Derek. We got a mic out here. Are you there? Yeah, hang on. We're going to take a break. Uh, thank you for joining us, Derek. And uh, we'll definitely keep the word out as well, and we'll get back in touch with you if we hear anything more about it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, uh, and check out my YouTube site. It's YouTube DJ Holty, D-J-H-O-L-T-I-E. If anyone wants to check out these videos, leave comments. Um, you know, maybe they know what it is. You know, maybe they've seen it before too. So, 
you know, definitely put the word out on that. Uh, you can put it up on your page. I don't know if you got one, but I mean, it's all free. I don't want anything for this. You know, I just want everyone to see what the, what's going on because it's it, it's definitely something unexplainable and and maybe they're here. You know, and why? You know, and maybe someone knows some answers. You know. Well, thank you very much, and uh, yeah, we'll definitely keep in touch. All right, man. All right, Thanks, have a good Derek. night. All right, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we'll have more on the Bridgewater Triangle, so stay tuned for more here on Spooky South Coast. Welcome back to Spooky South Coast. Tim Weisberg here, along with the silent assassin Matt Costa, science advisor Matt Moniz, and guest host for the evening is Carlson Chopswood. And uh, we're talking about the Bridgewater Triangle. Before we get back into that, I just want to say congratulations to our friends uh, Penny Dreadful Shilling Shockers. Congratulations to Penny and Guru. Um, and I'm sorry, I, I always want to make sure I use the character names and not the real names. I almost said his real name. And uh, and everybody that works over there, Rebecca, and everybody that puts that show together, congratulations on getting a Rondo Hatton Award for Best yes. Horror Host. All right. That is, I'm talking big-time stuff. That is, that is big-time stuff to be voted Best Horror Host by the audience that knows horror today. So congratulations to them. And uh, watch for new episodes of Shilling Shockers on your local cable access station. And pretty soon we have to get them back in the station. It's been a while since we had them, so... And it's always a fun time when we have them on the show. So let's get back into the discussion on the Bridgewater Triangle. The phone lines are going to be open throughout the rest of the program. 508-996-0500, 1-877-996-1420. You can also email us SpookyCrew at SpookySouthCoast.com. And you can jump into the chat room on SpookySouthCoast.com as well. Just click on the Spooky TV link and you'll see us right there on your screen. There you go. Oh, you were just well, just very camera? briefly before we started, I just wanted to say it was I, I found it kind of strange that you know all the technical difficulties we just had, and the show was about the Bridgewater Triangle. All of a sudden, you know, headphones were freaking out, microphones were popping in and out. Actually, we had cars in the parking lot with alarms going off. It's just really strange that that happened. Pause that didn't that work on the board strange. earlier. That's all I wanted to say. And, and you know, we 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 love Keith Johnson here. He's uh, one of our good yes. good friends in the field. But I'm starting to wonder if that exorcism that he did on this place didn't take that little. Oh, well, it wasn't an ex- the little blessing that he gave to the studio. I'm starting to wonder if it if it needs to be freshened up. We'll have people. to come back. We'll have to have him come back in and do that again. So uh, let's get back into the talk about the Bridgewater Triangle with Triangle researchers and historians. We have Kristen Good here in the studio, and we have Manny Famalore on the phone. And Kristen, we were talking about this the last few weeks, uh, you know, back and forth, and uh, we mentioned it earlier on the show, but for those who haven't read my book, Ghosts of the South Coast, or heard previous episodes of the show, such as the famous, infamous Backyard Podcast-only episode, <laughs> uh, but 
my first paranormal experiences happened at my aunt and uncle's house in Halifax, Massachusetts, which is, you know, right in the heart of the Bridgewater Triangle. And uh, when I was probably about 14 years old, uh, the first incident, I'll just go through it real quickly. The first incident was we were all in the house and the uh, bulkhead doors to the basement started slamming up and down. So we thought somebody was in the house. We ran down there. We looked. Nobody was down there. And the doors were locked. You know, there was a bar that went across the doors. And uh, we went back upstairs. Again, same thing kept happening. It was finally when we went down there and saw them actually open and closing by themselves, and we thought it was something really strange, so we decided to go in the living room and pretend like it wasn't happening. But over the course of many years, there was uh, shadows that would be seen on the wall, uh, faucets would turn on and off, you know, a lot of just basic poltergeist activity. And it had started, uh, coincidentally, with my young female cousin, who was of just about puberty age, playing over in the cemetery next door, and the <laughs> we all know, uh, you know that game from Parker Brothers, you know, the one on the board? Mm-hmm. Yeah, the Ouija board. Well, they were using one of those, too, and that was kind of the doorway almost that opened things up. But what happened was the, uh, the activity was so intense, my aunt did some research, and she found out that, first of all, every couple that had ever lived in that house ended up getting divorced. And um, so that was kind of the first hint that maybe they didn't want to stick around there. Uh, but also she had done some research and found out something to do with a farm that had been in that area and that there had been uh, two teenage boys who were, we'll say, slow-witted, uh, who were not able to carry their weight on the farm and were just a couple extra mouths to feed. So the story that we heard was that the father had taken an axe to them and you know, eliminated those two extra mouths to feed. And... Uh, that it's their spirits that went up and down and haunted all of this street. And, uh, well, it's Thompson Street in uh, in Halifax. So when I'm telling you this, you're coming back to me with some other interesting information that you had found out that actually is uh, much more verifiable, first of all, than this story, and also goes much deeper. Mm-hmm. What kind of things did well, you find out? Well, first of all, I thought it was really, I thought it was a, a coincidence that you actually asked me about Route 105, because I'm <laughs> obsessed with Route 105. My parents just moved to Middleborough, and I bring my EMF detector every time I go, go down it, and I notice my EMF detector goes off in the same exact spots every single time. Starting at the house that you're talking about, right as you pass the cemetery, Thompson's, Thompson's Cemetery, mm-hmm. that's where it first starts going off. And then, you know, a bell went off. I said, it's the Sturdivant murder. I completely forgot that that happened right there on that street. So I think it was 1874, and it was a brutal crime. It was national news. Um, There were two elderly men that lived on Thompson Street. They did own the whole farm. They were very, very wealthy, very miserly, not that very well liked in town. And they were murdered by their nephew, who lived in Hanson. Um, and he came from Hanson and murdered them brutally with a cart stake. And police said that it was like the worst thing that they ever saw. And they also he also murdered the the um, a cousin, a distant cousin who was staying with the family as a housekeeper. So I did find out where the house was. It's not that house. It's across the street. It's not where we thought it was. But now that you're saying that your cousin was dabbling with the Ouija board in the cemetery, the Sturdivants are buried there. That The family plot is down the street, on, on um, further down on, on 106. Mm-hmm. 
But for some reason, the three people that were murdered are in that cemetery. As a matter of fact, I brought you some, some goodies that I got from oh. the library today. I think this is really cool. Carlston thought it was strange, too. Right on there, there are tombstones that says murdered. Wow. Uh, yes. So I'm wondering if maybe your cousin happened to be using the Ouija boards around there and it followed them back. Mm-hmm. But I have an article about the last person that lived in the Sturdivant house, which is diagonally across from your, your aunt's house, not far at all, and nobody's lived there for years. It's so haunted. So... um whether the activity on Route 105 has to do with the murder, I like to think that it maybe has something to do with the murder, but also King Philip's War. Well, did the area influence the murder? Which is one maybe. of those, you know, we, li- we like to dig really deep yep. here on the show. Well, this is, like, was actually, the, the Sturdivant murder was one of the first murders that I came across in my research. And, um, you know, I made note of it because it was a family member murdering a family member. But um, that's, I think that's a crazy coincidence, though. We have a scary history of that in this area, you know, especially in, like, Fall River. So we need to get into both houses, I think. Uh, and I, I'm working on it. And, and I, I don't want anybody to go out there and bother the people that live there now. My aunt does not live there anymore. We don't know the people that are there. Uh, so please don't go knocking on their doors. But uh, we're going to try and talk to them and see if we can set something up because that that and the cemetery now we have to do the cemetery and and we talked about just how creepy it is going up and down that whole road all the time man i don't know manny if you've ever had any experiences out on that road at all not on that road um the central cemetery in east bridgewater which is right behind uh my house i have heard uh and seen a few things nothing outrageous but i know that that cemetery does have a, a pretty strong history as well and one of our uh one of our listeners in the chat room at SpookySouthCoast.com mentioned that she was reading up on the triangle earlier today on the Internet, and she saw mention of tombs that were discovered in the triangle. Is that anything that has popped up on either of your research? Because I haven't really heard. I've heard of caves, but I haven't heard anything about tombs. Tombs or ancient burial grounds? Tombs? I don't know. We will have to find out. By uh... <laughs> may have been the I... uh, Indian Indians that were un- unearthed that had the uh, strange... Uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark melting when they opened up the opened up the uh, grave sites. That's what that's what they're referring to, I think, on grass grass island. island. Yeah, that's correct. Yeah, yeah. That, that's what they're reading. A lot of people do get all the information about the Bridgewater Triangle off of Wikipedia. <laughs> Wikipedia will burn you when you're researching things <laughs> in this area. Trust me, I found that out when I wrote my book. <laughs> I mean, I didn't yeah. quote Wikipedia in my book, but uh, so. We, we've got all kinds of different types of activity uh, that that happen in this area. We talked about a lot of it, UFO sightings, uh, cryptids such as, you know, giant cats and even Bigfoot sightings, uh, different ghosts and hauntings, uh, all this different energies that are all focused in this area. Does one report seem more uh, prevalent than other when we're talking about the quote-unquote paranormal phenomena? Does anything seem to happen more frequently? Well, recently there's there's been mostly Thunderbird sightings. I haven't heard of a Bigfoot sighting in quite a while, but if I think if you had to take all of the, the crypto reports, historically there's probably mostly Bigfoot sightings. Well, and Thunderbirds, for those that don't know? Um, well, they, they're, they come from Native American mythology. Um, they're pterodactyl-like birds. The ones that have been seen in the Triangle... Um, have been described to be like Mothman of a few reports. 
few people have reported that it looked like Mothman in a very recent report um, in, in Marion. That's how the girl described it, that it looked like the Mothman. And then um, I got a very interesting and detailed report from, from someone from the Bridgewater Triangle page who saw, saw one at dusk in Raynham on St. Anne Street. Typical, sounds just like the Downey, Downey report, 12-foot wingspan. It was, um, he said it, it kind of looked like a plane flying over the line. It was kind of cool. The car was behind it, and then it just took off and flew into the woods. I wanted to backtrack you a second there. You mentioned that there was a Thunderbird sighting in Marion. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you kind of give us a, an idea of what that sighting was, what was described to you? Um, it was a, a girl, a teenage girl in her family. Uh, her parents all saw it. Um, apparently, it was like a dinner dinner time discussion for weeks and then the parents stopped talking about it they got so freaked out so only she will talk about it now whereabouts are marion i'm not i'm not really sure because there are uh is it one or two eagles yeah that actually live right near the wareham marion town line mm-hmm. and um one of them hangs out at my house <laughs> No, two, she said, two bald eagles. She said yeah. it was uh, like typically. It seems like. Don't you think twelve foot wingspan is like the typical wingspan that, that you hear about? Uh, actually, larger. Uh, your your bald eagle can have up to an eight foot to ten foot wingspan. Really? Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. I've they had, stand, two, I've they, had two eagle sizes. Trust me, the, the things sit out in my front yard. Really? Yeah, they stand about four feet tall. Mm-hmm. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's the mm-hmm. only thing he doesn't shoot that comes down <laughs> his yard. But there's white on an eagle, correct? Yes, we, with the exception of the juveniles, which do not get their uh, white hood until they get into mature breeding age. Interesting. That's correct. And there was That's a there was a juvenile that was shot on President's Day this this past year. And, I know, and, that was right. horrible. And I handled that eagle, and it was a juvenile. And unfortunately, uh, it, once it reached Tufts, it was unfortunately had to be uh, euthanized. But... Yeah, they are they are coming back, and they, they're all heading towards Moniz's house. <laughs> <laughs> Which I don't know why, because they should know better. But, uh, that, I mean, that could be one possibility, though, for what she saw. I'm not discounting her sighting, and I'm not trying to disprove her sighting. Mm-hmm. But, you know, just a little information. That doesn't to look like the Mothman to me, though. <laughs> no, it doesn't. <laughs> The uh, and and well, do we want to mention who, cool. do we want to mention who has been in the studio with us here throughout the show? Yes, sure. Talking around the camera, I'm sure everybody on Spooky TV is wondering who that who that lovely gentleman is with the camera, and uh, he's an old old friend of the show from our first month on the air. Really? Oh yeah. 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 Well, uh, this is Aaron Kaju, and he did Inside the Bridgewater Triangle, the only documentary made so far. And recently, um, Manny and I have teamed up with Aaron. We're going to do our documentary together. Awesome. And uh, Aaron's website is still bigoperations.com? That's correct. And yeah, you, do you have the video posted on there? Did you link to the Google video or of the Inside the Bridgewater Triangle? Actually, I did not. Uh, I have not linked to that, but if you Good, Google you might get sued Inside, you the Bridgewater, yeah, Inside the Bridgewater <laughs> Triangle, somebody posted that on Google Video, so you can check it out. <coughs> the new film will be much more in-depth and uh, much more professional. I've learned a lot since uh, 2002 come a long way since then, so uh, this one will be a much better, more in-depth piece. And we'll have unlicensed music or, or rights you know, that you paid for. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> the music will all be licensed, and I'm working with two very talented uh, filmmakers as well, so I'm looking forward to it. Stay tuned for that. And, of course, now the obligatory, que- obligatory question is going to pop up in the Spooky South Coast chat room from one person that I know uh, who's in there. What about the first Patriots? The first Patriots is what I call a labor of love, and uh, it's it's very difficult to finish that film only because I'm more of a one-man band with that, mm-hmm. and it's such a broad topic, 
and someday I promise I will finish the first Patriots. Um, you know, I'm running my own business and working full time, so finding the time to actually work on that has been tough, but I hope to do that someday. It's been about six years in the making now, so I know people are disappointed, as am I, but someday I will finish well, that film. But that just goes to show you, it's because the trailer is so awesome. <laughs> when you see the trailer, you're like, I cannot wait for this. I get an email probably on a weekly to monthly basis from a school teachers as far away as California saying, my students saw the trailer, they loved it. When is the film going to be finished? And I, I hate to pin myself down to a date because it's just, I have like 30 hours worth of material to go through that I shot for that film, so... Uh, someday I will finish it. And that's Maybe. about the war? King Philip's War, yeah. Cool. Yep. <laughs> and you will uh, you will hear it first here when it is ready. So, And uh, if anybody has any questions, feel free to call in, 1-877-996-1420, 508-996-0500. Email spookycrew at spookysouthcoast.com, or you can jump in the chat room at spookysouthcoast.com as well. Uh, but one of the things that I'm always fascinated with when we do our – uh, Bridgewater Triangle investigation show, which we'll be doing coming up. We're waiting until the warmer months because, you know, usually we, we've sent people out to do this show in February. Yeah. We've sent teams out there in the cold and said, all right, go out there and look for ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, whatever they, they might be working on. But, uh, we will be doing that a little bit later on in the spring or early in the summer. And one of the things that I'm always fascinated with when people go out there is, We'll send them out there for a certain reason or for a certain story, for a certain uh, bit of evidence to try to check out. And what ends up happening is they have a completely different experience while they're out there. And one of the predominant themes that happens every year in that show is whatever this phenomena is, it kind of knows when you're coming. It knows when you're out there and it knows when you're ready to observe it. And it's it's funny to me that you guys say that you go out there and you do all this stuff and you're documenting all this, um, but how much of it, how much personal experience have you had with some of the things that have happened here? Kristen, I'll ask you first. I mean, how many personal encounters have you had with ghosts? Have you seen UFOs? Have any of this stuff happened to you on a you personal mean basis? Pre Bridgewater yes. Triangle research, yeah. um, I've seen a couple of ghosts. I've seen UFOs. Um, actually, I'll tell my UFO story because it's pretty good. Sure. Um, I saw it all the Wollaston Beach 10 years ago. It was uh, four bright orbs and one big one, so it was five in total. And they zipped across the sky, and they hovered over Boston Harbor. Together or independently? Merged into one and then hovered, and then submerged after 40 minutes. And we were talking about the first sighting ever documented in the United States, and that was it was actually, I said the Charles Road, it was actually Boston Harbor as well. And it was identical to what I saw. It was it actually, the first UFO was actually a USO. And it was exactly what I saw. It was it was four lights that merged into the, the fifth one and submerged under the water. I'm convinced there is something going on in Boston Harbor. Convinced. And other, there's a lot other of, than the outfall pipe? <laughs> <laughs> and there's also a lot of black helicopter sightings, too. They're just Open looking for Moniz, though, most of the time. <laughs> they don't know that his, his work moved. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then in the 90s, um, I was coming home. It was like 2 o'clock in the morning in Hanson, and something hit my car. I thought it was a rock. And actually what it was was it looked like a dinosaur egg. It covered, the yolk covered the, in, my entire front windshield and the whole side of my car. I couldn't drive. I had to actually clean the car off. And then the next day, my mother told me that her and her friend saw a pterodactyl. Really? And that was earlier <laughs> in the night. And it, it seemed like whatever they saw was sick, 
because it was flying really low and like crashing through the trees, breaking trees as it was flying. That's and that's I, fascinating because I've heard other people report seeing a pterodactyl in that area. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, I, I had never heard of a Thunderbird, neither had they, so that's the only way they could describe it. But no. I thought that was really interesting that what are the chances that an egg would fall in my car on that same night? I can't think of an egg that would have a yolk that would cover a car windshield. Other than an ostrich. An ostrich, or which, it, which is a non, non-bird of flight. Right. Hmm. Well, not only that, the, there are a couple of different types of... Uh, Basically, these gigantic birds. What you're talking about, uh, the pterosaurs or uh, pterodactyl type uh, creatures that are seen, are the less common. The the more common are the feathered, large feathered thunderbirds, and those are the ones of Indian lore. Uh, whereas in these were overly large eagles, more than twice the size of a normal eagle, and uh, people keep confusing the two as being the same. They're they're actually different. And and Manny, what about yourself? Did you have any personal experiences that that happened either before, or maybe even during your Bridgewater Triangle research? Well, I've always believed that the best ghost hunting equipment is two sets of eyes and two sets of ears. Mm-hmm. Always get somebody else's opinion. But I have—I've never seen Bigfoot or UFOs or anything. I've seen things that are unexplainable, such such as shadows in the graveyards uh, late at night, or I've heard uh, whispers, you know, voices and. In the wind and things like that, but as far as um, anything that I would say would stand out, uh, I wouldn't. I haven't seen anything. That, do, you, um, do you need to? No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I think I that's, just be, that's what happens when you do enough research into this. Is uh, you, when you see the patterns develop, you don't really need to see it to verify it to yourself. Uh, right. Right. Every, everybody uh, expects to go find Bigfoot or. Um, or UFOs, or uh, or something out of uh, out of uh, Wikipedia. Well, Manny, let's put it this way: my old mentor said something to me years ago, and I've been doing this twenty five years, and I never found truer words. For every step you take towards the unknown, it takes two towards you. That's we're gonna put oh, yeah. that on a T shirt eventually. I like yeah, that. that's that's well, great. <laughs> MDJ gets all the pro- proceeds mm-hmm. if we do that, though. Well, and you you said, you know, you've both commented on the patterns that have developed and the the fact that it goes beyond just what we talk about on the show, beyond the paranormal, it goes into into the criminal and it goes into the mental health areas, and that's something that we've talked about, especially off the air with Chris Balzano, I've spent hours and hours talking with him about that, and we can never get to the bottom of whether it's the area affecting the people, the people affecting the area. Is it uh, is this area cursed? Is this area uh, does it have a darker energy to it, and therefore that's going to pervade our own energy? It's so broad, and it's, you're, you're talking about such a big picture concept that all you can do is document as many of these little cases as you can, and say whichever way you believe, we've got the case files to prove it. Mm-hmm. Right, and what, what what Kristen and I have seen as well is there have been. Uh, accidents that have happened on certain days or different events, and we've gone back into history and found that certain things that have happened on certain days fall back to either something that happened during King Philip's War. And Kristen, 
Kristen, would you tell them about the drowning that was in Middleborough, what day that fell on and where it actually happened? Sure. Um, on the, the anniversary of the end of King Philip's War, August 28th, there was a drowning at Tespaquin's Pond um, in Middleborough. Um, the anniversary of the beginning of King Philip's War, um, June 24th, or it was the anniversary of the attack on Bridgewater, there was an article in the Brockton Enterprise about a black racer. Now, it's not uncommon to see a black racer in the area, but what was uncommon was the way it was behaving. A construction worker went to go into a house, and it was in full attack mode, three feet in the air, rattling its tail. Huh? And they don't do that. They don't behave like that. No, they, they generally retreat. They shy away from yeah. humans. So, yeah, we found these... Um, patterns of anniversary dates that coincide with the war and it's kind of it's kind of cool all right well uh if anybody has any questions here before the end of the show the numbers are 1-877-996-1420 or 508-996-0500 and people can always reach you through your uh, facebook page the bridgewater triangle facebook page and uh, if they ever have any questions or want to share a personal story or anything. Yes, please do. <laughs> do you find, though, that the more of these uh, stories that you collect from people who are uh, completely, you know, they don't know anything about this topic. They don't know anything about the, the paranormal, and they don't know anything about the triangle. They just have these experiences, and somebody says, well, hey, go to this page. Are you finding that most of your reports are coming from those type of people, or are they coming from investigators who are going out there and trying to find the stuff for themselves. Unfortunately, we don't get a lot of reports. We solicit, you know, we really? try to get people to, to um, tell stories. We, I would have thought we've got, we'd get a lot more stories. I think that'll change after the show. Because I hope so. Right. I hope so. But um, in general, like, I think that um, people that's, that witness things are people that have never heard of the Bridgewater Triangle. I know a, um, a man who's a, a horror producer, film producer who's obsessed with the Bridgewater Triangle because of his own UFO sighting before it was even called the... Actually, it was about a year before it was called the Bridgewater Triangle. And what he saw was a football field um, size UFO, and he's just been hooked ever since. He had never heard of the Bridgewater Triangle. This is how people get hooked on the Bridgewater Triangle. <laughs> so, Manny, the idea is that you're putting together the film and, and there's a TV show, too, in the works. Is that true? Right. That will be on East Bridgewater... Uh, local access. There was a show uh, by uh, a lady by the name of Ann Kerrigan mm-hmm. titled East Bridgewater's Most Haunted, which I believe it's it's she's still trying to get it going. She did some investigations in certain places in East Bridgewater, but Carlston and I did work with her already. That's correct. We yes, have. Uh, Ann's a good friend of the show, and so is Mike Markowitz, who did the show with her. Yep, yep, and they, they investigated... Uh, a couple of places in East Bridgewater that are known to be very haunted, uh, including a a house that used to be a, a former doctor's house. <laughs> That's uh, house we're North talking Elm, about. I think, yep. <laughs> I, I don't want to say the address. I'll go a little off. We'll say 200 North Elm Street, uh, North Central Street. But <laughs> but um, the house uh, is said to be very haunted. Uh, a lot of things have happened in that house, and uh, including a baby died uh, unexpl- unexpectedly, and. Um, a lot of people have seen chairs move in and uh, a lot of odd things happen in this house. Yep. Well, do you have any idea of uh, when, when your show is going to come about? Well, we're doing, we, like I said, we, we'd like to make the announcement tonight that we are working with Aaron now. We have teamed up. 
we would like to uh, produce uh, even a better documentary now than one before, and we're hoping uh, sometime within the next couple of months that our first episode uh, will be on the East Bridgewater Cable TV. And when you do have it up and running, be sure to uh, pass along copies to us. We'll get it on the Wareham Cable. Yes. And, uh, oh, we, we definitely will. Awesome. Oh, you wouldn't believe the network we've developed of people in cable oh, yeah. access that we can, we can get it pretty much uh, all over the country. Oh, that's great. And uh, there's plenty of people that listen to the show that I'm sure would be willing to sponsor it in other areas as well because even though it's in our little corner of, uh, of America here, it's an it's a international phenomenon. People all over the world know about the Bridgewater Triangle and uh, through researchers such as yourselves and, and those who have come before you. So we thank you for all the work that you're doing in not only keeping the current reports out there and, and making sure that the fresh stories are heard, but for also really digging into the research and getting into the libraries and getting into the town records and, and really figuring out What's been going on since day one in the Bridgewater Triangle? Great. So, thank you. And thank you. I don't know how you want to work it, but when we do the Bridgewater Triangle investigation show, you guys can either be here in the studio with us, you can be out in the field, whatever you want to do. But uh, we usually have, uh, we usually get about seven, eight, nine, ten teams that want to take Sounds part like in this. Sounds like a blast. I'd love so it. Is. It is, but it's I have a suggestion. It's crazy. You said that August 28th. Uh, August 28th is on a Sunday. Um, but Saturday night is the night before, actually midnight. Yeah. I don't know if you want to run a little awesome later. I think idea. that's a great idea I due to the fact idea. that she's just disclosed that a lot of uh, activity happens on that anniversary In, in Anawan Rock, it definitely heats up around that time. From July to August, it always Tim's not looking too oh, You know, well, what well, I'm going to say is on August 27th, <laughs> I'll be in a nice air-conditioned studio. All the teams uh, are going to be the ones out there sweating their butts off out in the Bridgewater Triangle. So that sounds perfectly fine to me. Beautiful. So uh, we'll idea. we'll Love talk it. to everybody. We'll get everything wrapped up, and and uh, we'll have everything happen for that show. And until then, you know, we're gonna we're gonna have all kinds of great, interesting shows coming up. And if you are a first time listener, please join us next Saturday night at ten o'clock when we're back in our regular time slot. Uh, and then we've got some great episodes coming up uh, on March. Um, what's today? The third, second, second. So nine, nine plus seven, six. On March sixteenth, you don't want to miss the big return of Rick Hayes to the show. Rick Hayes, we've had so many mediums and psychics that have been part of the show uh, over the years. Rick Hayes is the only one that's given me an accurate reading on the air. Wow. So you, w- you don't want to miss that show. And just so many good shows coming up. We're going to be talking to Kirby Robinson, who has a new book out, Analyzing. And when I say analyzing, I mean breaking down frame by frame, episode by episode, the program Paranormal State. And he's found a lot of discrepancies in what they claim on that program Ooh. and a lot of discrepancies. He's, uh, it just, it's, I'm reading the book now. It's fascinating, the minutia that he's gotten into. Is he a myth buster? Uh, he's, he seems like he's an overall buster. He's busting the whole thing wide open. <laughs> overall so he'll be coming up on an upcoming show, uh, as well as we've got an upcoming show. We're going to be talking about zombies, all kinds of things. So stay tuned to SpookySouthCoast.com and stay tuned to our Twitter feed, SpookySouthCoast. Uh, Twitter.com slash SC. We'll put up all the information as we have it along. And uh, until then, until next week, when we'll be back at our regular time, 10 p.m. to midnight. Well, we say 10 p.m., but we usually start about 10, 15 p.m. There's a lot of stuff to set up here. So uh, until then, for Matt Moniz, for Matt Costa, for Manny, for Kristen, for Carl, for Aaron, for Chris Balzano, I'm Tim Weisberg, and we want you all to stay spooktacular. Rest assured, listener, that my time here has not been easy, and what you have just heard was not fiction. Although, in many a desperate moment, I'm a 
most certainly wish it had been. It's over for now, it seems. Or at least, until yesterday begins again.